0: hello and welcome back to two bar stools and a knife talking about the hospitality industry then now and in the future from FIU chaplain school of hospitality and tourism management and the Bacardi center of excellence i'm professor nathan dodge aka dodgy joined by brian patrick connors and chef john Noble Massey. hi gentlemen how's it going
1: uh, look yes. at that! He's making up his own nicknames. Like, look
0: that at now. that. <laughs> you know, well, who gave him those I've nicknames? Got tired of you know. just calling it calling me dodgy, so I'll just embrace the dodgy.
2: Yeah, uh, right. there you go. Okay, well,
0: it's, oh, uh, better than I think that's better than Ned. It is yeah. better than Ned. It is. It is. <laughs> you know, I wanted to to quickly talk about last week's episode. You know, I really enjoyed last week so much. It was a tough conversation we had. We were talking about the wildfires in the West Coast and COVID and everything else, but it was it was a it was a great conversation that we had. So if you hadn't listened, please go back and listen to the last week. And if you happen to be listening to the FIU Hearst Lecture Series this week, you would have heard uh, David Grutman. And while he used a, a language that was a little bit more colorful than we use on this show, mm-hmm. um, he had a very similar sentiment. He did say we will rebound we will be stronger and we'll be better than we before. Um, is that a, a good a translation of the, uh, the verbiage that he used, uh, Brian? Yes, it's very colorful. And very I did, uh, and uh, John Massey, you know, and I did uh, quote
1: Nathan Dodge from his phenomenal show last week because, on NPR. yesterday. you know, his, yesterday, yeah. His shining moment. I know, talking about the future of the industry. And I know we're going to be getting a little bit into that today, particularly on the culinary side. So uh, yes. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with a culinary educator legend. Oh, very How's that, cool. job. Yes.
3: Huh? yes, there you a go. Legendary,
1: legendary culinary educator. Either
3: Before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about Bacardi World?
1: Bacardi World. Yeah, you know, I was actually on campus today, gentlemen. Felt great to be back on campus. The Bacardi classroom is, it has that new classroom smell. You know, it's really what you want, that new classroom smell. That's cranking. And then, of course, in about 48 hours from now, uh, a little less, we're going to be joined by Drew Niepont, uh from Nobu fame, uh, as well as Tribeca Grill, and his legendary career when he started out with Joe Baum. And I'm going to kind of take a really deep dive with Drew, and we're going to talk about uh, a lot of the topics that we've been going with, but uh, Drew's going to be a great guest uh, this Thursday for our next Picardi Talks. Uh, and we got some other cool stuff in the works right now. So I'm going to hold off on that because I really want to get to today's guest. But when I say some really cool stuff, we're going to be doing some good partnering uh, with industry media as well as industry experts, and we're going to be launching that under Bacardi Teach. So all good things are coming from the Bacardi Center
0: of Excellence. Hey, Brian, once we um, because this show will air after you have spoken to Drew, mm-hmm. we will take that whole episode and drop it um, about next yes, m- week. So if you are listening to the show now and say, oh, I wish I could have heard that, be prepared. It will be dropping on the Two Bar Stools and a Knife uh, podcast, probably midweek-ish. So keep an eye open for that. I think we should just move into things because it is October. It is. It is. So, this
3: This is the first podcast for Oktoberfest and we are, how better to start it off, I think. Right. And so, you know, I want to give our culinary educator legend a proper introduction. So with a career that started after emigrating from Bavaria uh, in New York City, working at hotels, including the Sheridan in New York, uh, over 30 years at the Culinary Institute of America, uh, including uh, that as the culinary dean, author of several cookbooks, and my personal favorite, charcuterie, and also has the highest Certification honor of the American culinary Federation a certified master chef and on a personal note uh, I am more than pleased to to call Master certified master Chef fritz Sonnenschmidt my my uh, mentor colleague and friend so uh please welcome chef Sonnenschmidt.
2: hey, you make me blush
3: uh, well i am i am if you could see me uh, uh, I am blushing as well, but I'm thrilled to have you. On and have a few minutes to chat with you. So we'll look forward to this next forty minutes or so. Me too. Excellent.
2: Well, I'm, Nathan, I'm why, excited. let
3: start off.
0: Yeah. So first of all, I uh, as soon as I get a break, I'm going to run into my uh, cookbook collection because I have. I think I might have that cookbook. I might have that charcuterie cookbook on my in my cupboard because one of my favorite things that I'm always terrified to make is my own charcuterie. So I'm going to definitely want to talk about that in a second. But let's talk about your career. Let's talk. Let's go from where did you start? How did you uh, get here from Bavaria? And, and, you know, make it as far as to be on the Two Bar Stools and a Knife podcast. The, <laughs> the
2: highlight, highlight of your career. The highlight. I started uh, in 1948. Uh, my apprenticeship, uh, that shows you I'm, I'm an old geezer, uh <laughs> this day. Uh, 1948, uh, versus 19, uh, 2020, uh, is, um, it's, it's like day and night. Uh, I mean, at my time, we, uh, made everything from scratch. Even tomato ketchup, we made from scratch. Uh, it was a complete different type of a, a kitchen, uh, system then than it's today. Today, uh, I think we, uh, we uh, have become convenience, uh, uh participants. And a lot of stuff now in our kitchen is pre-prepared, and we don't actually do it from scratch anymore. Uh, so in '48, I uh, did uh, three years of apprenticeship uh, under a woman chef. Uh, I mean, I never knew she was a woman until I came to the United States, where we made a big difference and still do today between a woman and a male chef. Uh, and I always said he either a chef or not a chef. It doesn't matter what you call it if you a uh, uh, male or a woman, if you, call it, if you can't cook you know, and have the feeling for it, uh, you, you shouldn't be in our profession. For three years, um, I did what was at that time was because there was no culinary schools like we have today. And I want to thank all the teachers in all the culinary schools in the United States uh, for really uh, putting themselves out in order to keep our culinary profession alive uh, uh, under all these difficult circumstances that we have today. Uh, so we had no school, so we had to wander. We had to move from place to place to pick up ideas and concepts. Uh, and um, uh, at my time, uh, the big worldwide, what's it called, trend was Scandinavian food. Uh, if you knew about today, it's uh, the tapas, uh, the Spanish type of, the South American type of a food. Uh, so you needed a type of experience in order to really make it in our business. So I uh, first, I actually went to Switzerland. I worked there from Switzerland. My chef uh, recommended me to the chef at the Grand Hotel in Stockholm. Uh, and then he recommended, recommended me uh, to uh, Mr. Rett, the chef at the Piccadilly Hotel in London. And then he recommended me to another place, uh, and actually to Savoy. Uh, and actually, I was recommended by my chefs uh, after about a certain time. They said, I can't teach you nothing anymore. You better go there. Uh, and uh, I, worked in, uh, in, in Africa and I worked in India. and uh, before I came to the United States, I worked in Pakistan. Uh, and, uh, I met a gentleman, which was the general manager of the, uh, Eldorado El Dorado Show and Yacht Club in, uh, New Rochelle. Uh, and, uh, I met him in a belly dancing place. Down there was at least I illegal, but he was like a speakeasy. And he said to me, uh, and I spoke like this, he said, America, gold on the streets. And he said, if you ever come to America, I give you $125 a week, a house, and a car, which was at that time a fortune. A so I went for my immigration papers, which I got three months later. And uh, uh, in uh, 1960, uh, uh, in, uh, in May, uh, I got to uh, Idlewild, which at that time, you see, was what well, is Kennedy today. And that's what my first time I ever been in America. Uh, and I started at El Dorado. The $125 were $95 after the taxes. Uh, the house was an old shack in the back of the, the property, and the roaches were marching like the Germans, and the the uh, mosquitoes came down like the kamikazes. Uh, and the car was an old gelasi, only the brake worked. But I loved it. I loved America at that time. I wish we would go back to that particular time in the 60s Well, food was food, service was service, and the culinary arts was beginning to really, what's it called, become Americanized. Uh, Basically, that's my career, what's it called. Now, of course, in America, uh, I left the El Dorado, and uh, uh, the manager got me a job at the uh, Julius uh, uh, Kosher Catering on 72nd Street uh, at the Old Hotel Royale, and I got uh, interested in kosher food. And I started to, to study it uh, and then uh, become a kind of expert for it and make good money there too. Uh, and then uh, my friend, which was with me, uh, overslept uh, on his job, and he was afraid to go there because the chef there was a tough Austrian. Uh, and uh, she said to me, oh, look here, why don't you go down there and take my job there because I, 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 won't, I won't go down there. The guy going to kill me. So I went to the show uh, which was at that time one of the uh, uh, hotels which was built for the World Fair in, uh, 60, uh, in 61 and 62 uh, and I, I interviewed for a, a, a cook uh, and the chef uh, liked me and he hired me and uh, I stayed with him uh, for four years when he left I became executive chef of the hotel and in 1968 he became the supervising chef of the Culinary Institute of America at that time in New Haven uh, and uh, he hired me uh, to teach international cuisine. Uh, and then later on, uh, Mr. Rosenthal, which was the director at that time, asked me to take over garmage and also write the uh, the textbook for it. Uh, and that really was became the highlight of my career uh, with garmage uh, and charcuterie. And in 1972, we moved from New Haven to uh, Hyde Park, New York, where I still taught till 19... 19- uh, 1977, 76, I was on the uh, national team for the Olympics in uh, in Frankfurt, in Germany. We made gold. It was another experience. Uh, and uh, then I became uh, department chair and finally became the dean. And uh, uh, I, I still have to say, with Sigul, cool, I still remember most of my students, which I taught in 68, because they helped me uh, to write my.
3: And, Chef, uh, just to clarify for our listeners, uh when when you say the 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 Olympics, they may be thinking uh, that that you are doing uh, spring form diving or something. i uh, but I'm uh, yeah.
0: I don't know why wrestling. But wrestling. it's the if culinary done,
2: culinary Olympics. No, yeah. <laughs> if I would have done, it, it would have been was like a, a tidal wave or something. But anyway, uh, the culinary Olympic is on the same level as the sports Olympic, uh, is held every four years, uh, and uh, it's about forty. 40 to 50 nations participating uh, in a, what you call the a clueling type of food contest in cold, hot, pastry, charcuterie, uh, uh, and uh, all kind of other forms. You know, and uh, it's held every four years ago. You know, and uh, uh, our teams have participated since 1952. Uh, and uh, every four years, uh, in 76, uh, our team uh, was the first team ever which tied with France on the on the bronze position, uh, and uh, we did American food, which at that time was unheard of, un, uh, and even the judges didn't understand. I know uh, Frank Skrull, one of our team members, he put uh, uh, blue potatoes, red potatoes, and white potatoes on the table in the name of the the USA, the US, the uh, US colors, uh, and the judges went bananas and said, "How dare you color the potatoes blue?" Uh, they had no idea that there's blue potatoes or red potatoes and white potatoes and our teams after that uh, came in top every every time until recently i would say called our team younger team a uh, new team with not the experience that we had everything it was everything made from scratch came also up with gold this year and they're on the way what's called a participant in the next four years again so again, it's a big thing. So
0: Fritz, let me quickly ask you, so you're with the CIA from this, not the Central Intelligence Agency, this is the Culinary Institute of America from 1968 to 2002. You know, I was looking at some of the the students that you had from Anthony Bourdain, Todd English, Charlie Palmer, or, and, and of course, John Double Massey. Who, is there any one um, student that really just sticks out that made it big, big, and that is really an impressive and Besides John Noble Massey. Besides John Noble Massey.
2: Thank you very much. Really, uh, I have to say that all uh, my students and our students uh, have been successful uh, to move the uh, color arts in America uh, to the point as we are today. So uh, I really wouldn't say, well, even so we had uh, Baudin, which was a student of mine personally, Uh, Charlie Palmer also, John, as he would called, I worked with his father for Noble Massey, which was a certified pastry chef now, and also a master baker. Uh, I'd love to say that the faculty uh, from 1968 till even today has many, in many ways given uh, a lot of students the basic, and I believe the basic, the basic tools to succeed. Uh, but, that, but, but that what I mean is, is that I still believe today that if you don't know the reasons why you're cooking it, you cannot be successful. Because it's so important to know the reasons why we're doing it. Uh, uh, today, my my complaint today is that a lot of our young colleagues today bypass the basic fundamentals. They were set in, as he was, for a reason why we braise, why we saute, why we boil, why we blanch, you know, why, all these little things, that see, they make the difference between an excellent meal or a maybe excellent meal. Uh, and I think that was the thing, as see, which we. Really, what he gave to our students is the reasons why we're doing it. Uh, and, of course, the basic fundamentals. The rest, they had to do it themselves. That's, uh, I think, uh, I wish I could give you a better answer for that. Uh, but uh, I remember uh, Susan Fenninger, for example, uh, she was a student of mine this year. And she became, together with uh, Sue Milliken, uh, uh, one of the top chefs in this country. And going back you know, to, to, to many other ones. Uh, which really today may be forgotten because they have are oh, oh, retired too, uh, like myself. Mm. But they have made the base, and yeah. they gave uh, they gave them the success to succeed. That's excellent, think,
3: uh, I mean, chef. That's
2: we- that's, uh, that's the only thing what I can say. So
3: well I think we are on the same page when we talk about teaching culinary basics and and, and going from there and I think that's sometimes gets lost in some of the places I want to uh talk a little bit about some of your world travels and I know you've held positions uh, i I had forgotten that you had spent that time in Pakistan and some of the other places and I know when when we traveled to India that was that was on a Continuing education <laughs> program.
2: <laughs> well, John, stories
3: here—I <laughs> know there's several <laughs> stories there. I'm not going to get into those stories, but but I want to I want to ask just on a big picture: How, how did working and traveling and all of those places that were not common? Uh, what did they? How did they enhance your career? How did they influence your career? And in that way just well, being international?
2: Uh, one thing is uh, you meet people. Uh, you meet people of other what's called cultures. You uh, learn how to, to cook now and work with food from other cultures. And you learn how to respect it. I think that, that's the key word. The key word is respect to see of, of all these things. You know? uh, I mean, today uh, we teach uh, international uh, in most of the schools, you know? uh, but it's not the same as the, in the country itself. To, uh, to learn it from the people, uh, to, to, to see the culture, to see the ideas, the concepts, the way they live, you know, the way they eat, you see, the way they think, uh, their political systems. All this whole part is a thing, a part that even as, as chefs, we have to be neutral. Uh, but the, the part of it is that food to see has all these things incorporated in it. Uh, and uh, people sometimes forget that. Uh, and again, it comes right back to this thing. The reasons why uh, it gives you a, a complete t- different type of a perspective of the food itself. I remember when we, 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 my father and I with Antonio Cito worked in, in India to set up uh, American restaurants over there. Well, the key word was we couldn't have any beef because the, uh, the animal, what they call especially female, is holy. So how, how can you put a hamburger on the menu if you can have any beef? Uh, so we had to come up with all kinds of new type of concepts to circumvent that because the problem is that when tourists go somewhere else, they don't want to eat the, the food of the country, they want to eat their own food. In India, the, the American tourists, they wanted to have a clam chowder. Uh, and I said, clam chowder in India? Why don't you come and have a Muli or something like this now because that's the, 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 the good stuff over here. Why do you come to India to have a clam chowder? Have that in, in, in America. It's good. But you had to make a clam chowder with ingredients which were only available in India. That changed the concept. So you had to really work on that. And that really gave uh, me another type of uh, extra point in teaching because I could say truthfully, that's what it is. I didn't have to be afraid to say, well, maybe I just made it up. I was there. So I could really talk about it honestly. With, yeah. uh, with, with concepts behind all everything which I taught.
3: It, and it certainly adds authenticity. I know our, our Dean constantly reminds us it's Florida International University. So we spend a good bit of time embracing other cultures and making sure that we have, well, in the past, we've had wonderful study abroad programs that all of us have been involved in one way or another, and hopefully we'll, we'll return to some of those. But I I can't say enough about travel and the and the experiences that you get from it as well. So I'm I'm glad to hear that you you feel the same way.
2: Well, um, I, I knew a, a lot of my former students touched with a lot of them, which have worked uh, actually one or two years, up to three years, uh, in all kind of countries are you know, including in Russia uh, and, of course, India and everything else. You know, and uh, they have a complete have a different uh, outlook uh, about uh, what's happening in the world today then uh, they wouldn't if we just never left the country and and just did. But I have to say one thing, that uh, the students today are very uh, privileged and and lucky because America is the greatest melting pot in the world. In our country, every single nation is under one roof and speaks English. And in every family, there are about five or six different types of cultures. And so there's new food, new concepts, new ideas. Just today in America. So we really when uh, really you think we have the world right here at home and we should embrace that.
3: Yeah, we are indeed very lucky. We, we are, are indeed yeah. very lucky. And you know, we're we're getting into the fall season, or at least it it appears to be fall when you well, it's do fall go out. Someplace see,
0: I don't know down someplace. here, but it's fall someplace. But
3: but I imagine that we're back. You know, uh, maybe up where Chef Chef is up in up in Georgia, or back up in the Hudson Valley where, where I was raised. And you're seeing tree, trees trees changing color. To me, I always think of fall when we made wine at our home ah. in Hyde Park and you know dad used to reflect on his family traditions of making wine and crawling into the wine barrels and and uh taking lemons and rubbing them around the around side before you know so that they were ready for the for the wine that was to be made and i'm i'm real curious we haven't had a conversation about what fall traditions you had growing up uh in bavaria and if perhaps you made some beer or other 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 things, what were your traditions that that you look at fondly?
2: Well, traditions really basically it's interesting, uh, not uh, much different in every country as you go there's a the south and there's a the north. Uh, I, I grew up in the south of Germany, uh, and so of course that means beer, uh, which we call liquid bread because it uh, didn't call it alcohol or anything. you got liquid bread in our uh, because beer really has all the vitamins to sustain life, and then it has good thing—the alcohol also, which makes you happy. Uh, it really mm-hmm. makes you healthy, but also happy. Uh, so a lot of our items were cooked beer. You know, uh, while if you would have come from the north of Germany, uh, you would almost like cooked a bit wine, uh, or the same thing we have here. Uh, if you if from the the wine uh, producing areas, you'd almost know, likely cook everything. With wine. Why in this case, you come from areas which are, uh, have a lot of breweries. They mostly like cook with beer. So there's not much big difference in that. Okay, As, uh, The food's about, well, it's the same thing. You see, uh, uh, a lot of stews. Uh, that was a big thing, especially in fall. Uh, from the goulash to the beef stew to the sauerbraten to the, the, the pot roast, you see, uh, a lot of pork roasts you now. And not to forget the dumplings. Uh, we, ah, we, yeah. we only bring this out at the Oktoberfest, uh, but dumplings is a, really a major feast or fair, uh, especially in Europe, uh, in uh, Switzerland, uh, Germany, Austria, Holland, uh, Belgium, uh, even Italy. I mean, uh, a little gnocchi is really a dumpling when you think about it. That's true. Uh, so, uh, but we, we, even today, people forget <laughs> about them, how simple they are. Uh, how cheap they are to be to be produce and how tasty they are. This coming yes. Thursday
0: is National Pierogi Day, which is a dumpling, and I love pierogies.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: I think, Chef, you'd be proud of me, and I think uh, Chef Massey would be proud of me. Dodge, who cares? But uh, <laughs> on Friday we had, uh, or Saturday, we actually had a couple of good friends over uh, that just got back into town. I did Oktoberfest, gentlemen. I did a pork knuckle. Uh, as well, yes, thank you very much. And you know, it's kind of a unique. Res- it's not quite braised, but chef, I did use beer as well as stock, onions, and garlic, and it and the crackling on the outside. My wife loved it. From her, she has a little bit of German heritage. I did some braised cabbage, some carrots with that, and she also made her grandmother's Bavarian potato salad. Boom, boys, boom! It was well, good. you know,
3: I, you know, I, I, I I'm, I'm expressing the my feelings for Dodgy and I. Or I'm I'm, I'm looking outside of my mailbox and I, I don't see the... Uh, well, let me invite. double
0: check. Maybe it's in my mailbox. Wait, too.
3: wait, wait. Was it sent to both of us?
0: No, oh, no, nope, neither one of us what? got it. That's weird. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah. No, whatever. Spray.
2: My taste buds um, are
0: running. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, you know that Shep, does right? sound That's good. Like, it sounds amazing. You know, and...
3: And chef, you got have to forgive us for for the little gentle ribbing that we we do. And and I have huge respect for my colleagues and their culinary ability, especially when he when he starts talking about uh, cooking pork knuckles. But we tend to rib each other a little bit with my CIA background. And if you have not guessed, uh, Professor Brian Connors is a Johnson and Wales grad. Well, I live too.
0: Yes, thank yeah, you,
3: I, chef.
1: Yeah, right. I remember meeting chef when I was visiting CIA, and I got pulled. Mm-hmm. And gentlemen, you—you you kind of this makes a lot of sense. The chef I was working for at the time in Richfield, Connecticut, happened to go to Johnson and Wales, and that was. But I remember touring CIA. I remember meeting, you know, hey. chef as well as chef uh, Noble Massey, uh, as well as chef Amendola. So I know my guys.
3: Okay. Well, very good.
2: People, you're good look
3: well, yeah, what what happened now? I don't know. Um...
2: If if I may want to mention one thing, you mentioned pierogi before. It's a very interesting thing, is uh, the ravioli actually uh, uh, didn't exist until the the Chinese invaded Rome and brought their dim sum to Rome. Uh, And the Italians tried to copy it and it became the ravioli. Uh, Now, the Russians uh, actually made their pierogi from the ravioli, the only thing that changed was the filling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you think about that, when he, really the reason why where stuff comes from is the dim sum, rafioli pierogi. The Germans have the Maultasche, which is the same thing, uh, which it means uh, it's uh, like if the shape of a mouth, like a ravioli like a and pierogi. And so when you go down the line that every nation has dependent on certain foods from other nations, which either through war, uh, marriage, or interaction moved around the world and became what is, what is the food today. So, I mean, when he studied the uh, American native foods, for example, uh, there the Hoppies invented actually the donut, uh, uh, which people really don't know and understand this here. But uh, in New York now, or Pennsylvania, New Jersey, the Iroquois the they are actually braised, they're fish with, with maple syrup, and they're made actually wild boar bacon. Uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, and that became a part of the basic American uh, food setting. Uh, and, and so that's why you really have to study the history, the reasons why food comes from. Uh, then you understand and you become actually much more uh, safe in it. And you can explain it to your guests also. So you know what you're having sure. here? Sure. That, sure that's what it is.
0: No, pretty, no, no, no one has history. thought about that. That's pro- right? That makes a lot of sense. That's pretty cool.
3: Uh, Well, well, Chef, I know uh, we want to talk a little bit about, you know, culinary programs right now. And culinary is a huge part of the hospitality program at at the chaplain school. And we have core classes where students are responsible, required to take uh, a culinary course in order to get their hospitality degree. And. You know it's different from from you know the culinary schools that Brian went to and I went to, and you know it's not a two year pr- culinary program. But this is just part of an overall hospitality program where we're we're teaching potential s- s- students that want to get into maybe cruising or lodging, uh, maybe uh, special events, uh, things outside of the food and beverage world. And many of them are listening to us, and and I was just wondering what what would you say to them. If to those students that may not be pursuing food and beverage as their primary course of the benefit to them, what benefit would they have of taking the, the culinary courses that we're providing them?
2: Well, uh, uh, first of all, uh, everything has changed today. I think today, uh, Chef and today's uh, medicine hotel, uh, they, have to, they have become not only showmen, but they also have to talk. Uh, to their guests, uh, and I think see, uh, if you uh, go in the food industry and you say you go in the front of the house, well, how can you sell uh, the, uh, your business if you don't understand what the back of the house is doing? Vice versa, how can you cook in the back if you don't understand what the front of the house is doing? Uh, so today, in my days, was well, the back was the back, and the front was the front, and they very often fought each other. Uh, you know, I mean, you look down on the, uh, the the front, look down on the back, and the back, look down on the front. Uh, in many ways, there were enemies. Uh, they fought each other on a, on, a, on a daily basis. Today, we have to be one. Uh, and so, again, for a person which wants to go in, in the food, it doesn't matter if it's hotels, restaurants, uh, even in, in, in selling produce. If you don't know what to call if you're selling produce, if you don't know what the person in the kitchen needs, uh, how can he sell him the best of the best which he can give him? Uh, on the other hand, he, if you he don't know what the front is, how to sell it, and not understand he, what the, the clientele does, how can he sell the food? So so all these things come together. So what I'm saying is, is yes, if you want to go into the culinary arts in the food business, uh, you need to understand the back of the house that is cooking. Uh, you need to understand the front of the house that is service. You need to understand accounting. You need to have an understanding of psych- psychology, how to talk to people, how to, how to present yourself. Uh, you need to understand what, uh, the concept and how things change. Uh, today, uh, I mean, we're having all these new concepts. Uh, now we have the, the the virus. Well, <laughs> that virus is going to change our whole industry. We, we have to come up with new ideas, how we talk, how we behave. Uh, and, and so uh, today, it's more important to get education around education of all these things. So I mean, uh, th- that's the only thing I can say. I wish I would about, but I was 60 years younger
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and go to school again because uh, it, it would be a, a much more different type of learning with uh, the computers. I mean, you need to understand the computer today, even in the sure. kitchen. You have computers. I mean. Yeah, in my days, uh, you had a fight between a coal stove and a, and a gas stove, and an electric stove. Now, I the microwave came in. Forget about it. Uh, today, we have complete different type of cooking techniques uh, from the point of the, the heat applications, uh, and all this stuff is that's a science. Or the only thing you can learn the science is go to school.
1: It's some incredible insights, chef, uh, and I agree with you. It's, it's definitely changed. Either I, I graduated culinary school and about 25 years ago. John, you're not too far off there, my friend, either. But, uh, so yeah, I Chef, know, I know. Uh, John Massey and I have been working on a project together, and we'd love to get your insights. When John told me that we were able to get you on the show, I said, wow, this is a great opportunity. Now, Chef Rich, you, you talked about you know your experience with apprenticeship programs. One thing that John Massey and I are kind of really looking at is – do we need to kind of return to apprenticeship programs? You know, a lot of culinary programs are shutting down just because of either not innovation, the cost, but, you know, do you st- to see that model that you went through, do you think that can work in today's modern ways? You know, John and I are calling this a, you know, community-driven culinary program, but we really would value your thoughts on that as far as apprentice programs for the future.
2: Well, i will tell you one thing. I believe yes. Uh, and I think, uh, from the point of view of looking at, it is this way that uh, an apprenticeship is where you get paid, uh, and you have get one idea from the chef which you have, uh, and there's a certain amount of time where you work for all the stations, and then you you graduate from that uh, from that uh, particular establishment uh, as a cook. Uh, and uh, the school, on the other hand, like it takes long; maybe take uh, between uh, uh, two and three years. Uh, while uh, if you go to school, which you have to pay for, uh, you may need less of the time because you learn it uh, not only by through uh, for your mind, but also for your hand, both together. While in an apprenticeship, you learn it mostly with the hand rather than with the mind. Which you have to watch and see and do uh, as it goes with it. So yes, I think you see, it can be done today. However, uh, it needs to be very carefully supervised that the establishments need to be uh, half, uh, hands-on, like uh, working in the restaurant, but also there should be a certain type of academic education with it in order to give the people the same the level as a person which would graduate from a school which has uh, the management idea right with it. Uh, so yes, it could be work, but it would be uh, completely different than what mine was. When I went to apprenticeship, for three years, I went to school. One one day, I went to school, and then every day from seven in the morning till ten o'clock at night, I was working in the kitchen. Uh, my first year, uh, I was passed and, uh, and cleaned up the, the kitchen. My second year, I I, I I learned how to work with with uh, the the chefs now on the stations. And on the third year, I was allowed to to cook by myself uh, under supervision. So, uh, and then uh, after the three years over, I. Graduated from the culinary school, uh, which I had to go through every day, uh, every uh, once a week. Uh, and I remember was that I had to do a practical test and I had to do an academic test. Uh, and uh, with, with, after I this, I was a commie, uh, just a young cook, like you come out of school. So, yes, I think it can be done, but it needs to be done under the supervision of, of either a school. The ACF has some certificate, some apprenticeship uh, program, had some good ones. Uh, but they're all mostly by the wayside, except I think Greenbrier has still wanted to see. Uh, 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 but they never had the real supervision, uh, which he needs in order to these, these young people. They're not just cheap labor and, and just go in a place which they don't learn all, all aspects of, of high cuisine, low cuisine, and just common comfort cuisine. Uh, that's a key word. Does it
1: give you an idea? Yeah, I was actually writing John a note uh, and saying that's right on point because it's one of the things that yeah. Chef Massey and I are talking about is that utilizing the chaplain school as a foundation. But of course, you know, I think one of the challenges we're going to kind of run into is that instant gratification, that world of instant gratification that we live in now. But, you know, the restaurant and or resort or hotel property as the apprenticeship it might be a little bit of Back to the Future, but it would work. You know, so thank you for the input there. Uh, that, that was really insightful.
2: Everything is possible, you see, but it just needs to be a, a good plan. See, I think what ACF wrong did wrong, uh, where the government asked them see, to uh, to build up apprenticeships uh, rather than to build a uh, what's he called a base model. They never did that, the, and uh, that's the key. Where it needs to be a base model, which is given to the various establishment. They have to sign off on that. Uh, they need to be supervised for the called, and they have to agree to certain things uh, that uh, the young people which go uh, to the apprenticeship may have to go with uh, half of their time uh, to a, a culinary school or a community college whatever this case comes to but that's uh, the key word it needs to be planned well uh, and a, a time a time frame uh, and in today day— uh, what I would have to say from the pay point of view that the first year an apprentice should get paid uh, minimum wage and the second year he should get more and in the third year he should get full cook's wage because at that time mm-hmm. as he's uh, uh, working for three years in the same establishment, he knows the in and outs maybe more than the chef itself. Then it becomes successful. But you know, if you just say uh, that the person takes the apprenticeship on a minimum wage, forget about it.
3: Yeah, I think yeah. You're, you're absolutely right, Chef. You know, today's students, I mean, if they're going to do an apprenticeship, if they're going to do an externship, they've got to support a family and, and particularly those that, are, that and, are working and going to school at the same time. You, 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 it's a tough balance and to, to work and make for free. Yeah. You know.
2: I'm making the money to go to a culinary school, if you a community college.
3: Well, I, we normally finish it up, uh, finish up our podcast, Chef, with something that my colleague calls a, a speed rail. But today, I've gotta, we're, we're going to finish up with just, I, I have such huge respect for what you and dad did in your careers, educating thousands of young culinarians and hospitality professionals. And I, I think it's important that anyone that's listening, as, either as a student or as a professional in the industry, if you could give... Uh, today's young professionals and young students uh, any two or three pieces of advice, um, what would you say to them?
2: Well, uh, what I want to say is uh, the same thing. Uh, yeah, first of all I would say cook simple. Concentrate on flavor and cook only what you know. Uh, now, that will change. To cook what they know, it will change all the time as you go along. See, uh, a lot of people see, especially young people, want to do more that they're really able to do because they want to show off and they're flat in their face. Uh, the other thing I like to uh, say also: learn from each other, learn from your mm. teacher, learn from the fellow next to you, learn from the fellow on the other side. That's what we did. Now I learned from your father, your father learned from me, Jim Haywood learned from both of us, uh, nice. and, and then he. But then he looked around and see, his, uh, talk to people. Uh, uh, understand people, respect people, uh, and see what they do. Like right now I'm, uh, on Facebook, I put every uh, couple of days, I put something when I cook. Uh, mm. I cook old-fashioned. And now we have about 30, 40 people, which are a lot of my students, we share ideas. I'm learning. I'm learning every single day today new ideas. So the key word is to the young people today is learn, and, and don't think you know everything, but listen to other people, you know, and ask the Question: Why you do that through your entire life? and How are you going to be successful, no matter what? That's the only. Idea. I mean, I feel sorry because uh, our, our society is so loused up today, uh, many ways. So, but we have so many new outlets. For example, vegetarian cuisine. But whatever you talk about, that's a yeah. complete new type of a uh, of, of a cooking system which we haven't. Even really, uh, We don't understand it yet. That's the future. Uh, I mean, uh, when you look around and see farming, I have a friend of mine in Ohio, which has a farmer, he's a chef, a master chef also, 148 and he's growing tomatoes and other things. And he cooks with them. And he actually teaches on, on Facebook to understand the farming concept. Uh, and we never did that. Yeah. I mean, today yeah. we'll be going mm. back to the farmer, but we don't understand what the farmer has to do in order to produce the food which we need in our kitchens. Uh, and then we need the preservation, we need the flavor concepts, we, we need to understand what the basis, uh, the soup basis, the consummate basis, all this stuff. This is all new, we need to understand and study that. And that, I thing is that interesting part which I wish I uh, would be because I think it would be fascinating for me Excellent. to learn,
3: learn. Excellent chef. Well, that's a perfect way to uh, close out our, our podcast, Brian Patrick Connors, any closing comments from you, sir?
1: No, I really enjoyed today, chef. Thank you very much for your time, your words of wisdom. Uh, it's kind of great to to hear those approaches again because uh, I can say I'm trained old school and I still enjoy hearing a lot of that, but I do agree that looking to the future is also incredibly important. So, Chef, thank you for well, your time.
2: Let me thank you all, first of all, for what you're doing and for teaching the young people today uh, the concepts of, uh, of today. And uh, if, if I want to finish, I want to say cooking and baking is a science. It's an art and it's a way of sharing. And I think it's our profession. It's the way how we share uh, our food with our guests, and how we were, and uh, how we keep the nation healthy, uh, which we really would uh, need to talk about more and more, uh, with all the things that happens today.
3: Yes, yeah, chef, I, I I couldn't agree more. And you know, sharing sharing is what we do as educators. And so, all of your years were uh, of teaching. Very grateful, all of your students. Very 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 grateful. And so, thank you for sharing everything that you did with us today it was it was really inspirational
2: you made me feel good today thank you
3: and you made us feel good so thank you
2: thank you chef okay thank you and have a nice evening all right you too thank Thank you you very much chef